Is the Democratic base leaving Barack Obama behind? Plus, the Democratic fresh faces are in trouble and President Trump promises to end Obamacare. Again, I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. A lot coming up for you on today's show. A lot of Joe Biden, some Bernie Sanders. Basically, it's two old people slapping at each other with the balls from the bottom of their walkers. So it's getting real weird out there. We'll get to all that in just a second. First, let's talk about how you send your mail this year. No one really has time to go to the post office, which reminds me, last time I went to the post office, I got a parking ticket. I have yet to pay, so I'll do that after the show. But that's why I don't really want to go to the post office, and that's why you should use Stamps.com. It's one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't get even at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service direct to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It is indeed that simple. With Stamps.com, you can get five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail, not to mention it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and it saves you money. It's no wonder that over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Shapiro. That is Stamps.com. Enter Shapiro for that special deal, four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There's a reason I use Stamps.com at home, and we use it here at The Daily Wire. Stamps.com. Enter Shapiro for the special deal. All right, so Joe Biden continues to be top of the news as the Democratic Party struggles to deal with the accusations that he's very touchy-feely. Now, I'll acknowledge that it's weird that for eight years the media had nothing to say about this. Everybody on the right mocked Joe Biden incessantly for years for being the guy who would go to a diner and suddenly one of the constituents, the female constituents, would end up on his lap. The guy who would stroke the faces of other people. I mean, Joe Biden has been weird about this stuff for a very long time. Keep my hands to myself. I mean, this has been his theme for a very long time and there is nothing new here. Now there's a second woman claiming that Biden, quote, touched her inappropriately at a Greenwich fundraiser in 2009. But... Again, the headline here doesn't really match the story. This is from the Connecticut Courant. And basically, their argument is that this Connecticut woman said that Biden grabbed her by the back of the neck and then rubbed noses with her. Like, that's a weird thing to do, but is it a sexual thing to do? Is it like a sexual harassment thing to do? It's weird, for sure. It's an invasion of personal space, for sure. But Joe Biden has no limits. And Joe Biden has no limits when it comes to his speech. He just says anything. He has no limits when it comes to his personal behavior. He just touches people weirdly. But that doesn't that's not the same thing as Al Franken grabbing a butt or a boob. So the the kind of overblown controversy about Joe Biden being Joe Biden, it's just funny to watch as the standards change on him. And he is eminently confused about all of it, which, frankly, I think is appropriate, considering that the standards did randomly change on him. Now, the Democrats are a lot more hesitant to throw Joe Biden off the cliff than they would be if this person were a Republican, obviously. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, she said, does this disqualify Joe Biden from the presidency? Nah, that's that's silly. I think it's disqualifying. Yeah, I, I think it, disqualifying is with what your intention is. I do think this about communication in general. I know of Joe Biden a long time. My grandchildren love Joe Biden. I mean, he's, a, he's an affectionate person to children, to senior citizens, to, to everyone. That's just the way he is. Okay, so you know, Nancy Pelosi basically saying he's been like this forever. Why are you all of a sudden proclaiming that he's doing something deeply 
terrible or inappropriate. And this seems to be sort of a bipartisan take. Like Laura Ingram last night on her show, she said, listen, Biden has touched me before and it didn't bother me because he's not trying to sexually harass me. I have to share with you just really quickly my own touch and go moment with Joe Biden. Okay, this was many, this is probably 10 years ago. I wrote about it in one of my books uh, at a, a party in Washington. It was at George Will's house. And Biden saw me uh, at the entranceway to the party. So Biden comes up to me, or I went up to him, I can't remember what, and he put his hand, both hands on my shoulders, and he said, God's honest truth, Ingram, you're my favorite of the right-wing uh, crazies, or something like that, to that effect. And he, and he looked at me and he said, how you doing? And he was funny. It didn't bother me one bit, but that's kind of who he is. But now that's being used against him by the people who want to knock him out on the left. And I, I got to say, it's 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 rich, but it's probably undeserved. And and that is pretty right by Laura Ingram right there. It's not just from Laura Ingram. Whoopi Goldberg on The View said the same thing. She said, you know, it's kind of weird that the lady who first came out and said something about this woman named Lucy Flores happens to be a supporter of Beto O'Rourke. She says, you know, this happened five years ago. What are you sitting around waiting five years to talk about it? Now, I agree with all this. I'm just going to point out the insane irony of the same Whoopi Goldberg who said that Brett Kavanaugh should be kicked off the Supreme Court for a 30-year-old allegation without any evidence. That same Whoopi Goldberg is saying, why'd this lady wait even five years to talk about this supposed horror show that she experienced with Joe Biden? Stephanie Carter, who is the wife of Defense Secretary Ash Carter, published a blog Sunday defending Joe Biden yes. over a viral photo. Yes, yes. this because viral photo. People keep she misrepresenting she was this. Nervous and- that picture, Joe Biden knows them. Yeah. Right. He was behind her whispering to so you have to stop characterizing right. stuff, mischaracterizing it. That's all. So I'm for saying. her it but was a comfortable be, experience. Yeah. For the other woman, it, it wasn't. was not. But don't sit and wait and say I'm uncomfortable on national television. Right. Because yeah. it makes a suspect of your Listen, you your and I, honestly... Weird. Weird how that standard has now changed when it comes to Joe Biden. By the way, same standard has changed when it comes to Alyssa Milano. I thought the most ironic tweet of yesterday was Alyssa Milano tweeted out something about Joe Biden, how much she likes Joe Biden. She tweeted out a picture of herself with Joe Biden, suggesting that she and Joe Biden got along and that she'd never had these experiences with Joe Biden. Her actual tweet is a picture of her next to Joe Biden at some sort of event. And she says, quote, I am proud to call Joe Biden a friend. He has been a leader and a champion on fighting violence against women for many years, and I have been fortunate to accompany him to events with survivors where he has listened to their stories, empathized with them, and comforted them. That's who Joe Biden is, a warm, generous individual who believes it's on all of us to pay attention to women's stories and experiences. Biden started It's On Us because he believes to meaningfully change our culture, everyone, including those often left out of the conversation, like college athletes and frat brothers, need to be part of the movement. Joe Biden's response that he never meant to make anyone uncomfortable and that he'll listen and learn from anyone who says otherwise is exactly the leadership we need to build a culture where women are heard and are equal. I respect Lucy Flores' decision to share her story and agree with Biden that we must all pay attention to it. But just as we must believe women that decide to come forward, we cannot assume all women's experiences are the same. I believe that Joe Biden's intent has never been to make anyone uncomfortable and that his kind, empathetic leadership is what our country needs, especially now. So ironic because I remember Alyssa Milano getting in a handmaid's tail outfit and traveling over to the Supreme Court to proclaim that Brett Kavanaugh could not sit on the Supreme Court because of an old allegation with no supporting or verifiable evidence. I'm old enough to remember that because that was like, what, six months ago? Within six months, she has shifted her tune. And now her experiences with Joe Biden disprove the experiences of other women with Joe Biden. Again, I don't believe that Joe Biden is running around sexually harassing women. I don't. I think he's real touchy and I think he's a weird dude, but I don't think that he's running around sexually harassing women. I'm just pointing out that folks on the left have radically changed their standards. 
Because you'll remember that during the Kavanaugh hearings, Kavanaugh brought forward a letter from a bunch of former female colleagues who suggested that he was actually great with them. And the left said, well, that's not proof of anything. That's not proof that he's innocent. I mean, he could have been nice to these women and not nice to others. I mean, the same thing is true for Alyssa Milano, but you don't see the left saying the same sort of stuff. So there is a certain irony to, to the left's new attitude with regard to Joe Biden. But there's something deeper going on here, and that is the left seeking an excuse to make a break with Joe Biden. The hard left seeking an excuse to make a break with Joe Biden, which really is the left seeking to make an excuse for a hard break with Barack Obama. See, here's the thing about Joe Biden. He was not just a senator. If he'd just been a senator, he wouldn't have any shot in this election whatsoever. I mean, he tried in 1988. He tried again in 2008. He failed both times really miserably. Well, now he's running as the vice president to Barack Obama. So he's running with the, with the sort of emblem of Obama on his shoulder. He's running as Barack Obama's third term. And the hard left is not supremely happy with it. It's kind of fascinating. They think that they've moved beyond Barack Obama. Barack Obama, for a lot of members of the intersectional left, was actually a way station. He was not the, the final form of the destructor. He was not the, the ideal. Barack Obama was just a moderate guy. And it, it's amazing how Barack Obama becomes a moderate in the minds of the Democratic Party. But now Barack Obama was a moderate guy with moderate policies. And we've moved beyond Barack Obama. We don't need him anymore. He was a stepping stone in the same way that for every past president, they become moderate in hindsight. The same thing is now happening to Barack Obama. And the Democratic Party doesn't want moderate. So there are two separate columns in the New York Times today all about why this is the wrong time for Joe Biden. And basically, they both come from the same place, that Joe Biden is past his prime, that we don't need any more of this Obama shtick anymore. Michelle Goldberg, who's legitimately an awful columnist. I mean, the New York Times editorial page is filled with awful columnists. I'm hard-pressed to say that Michelle Goldberg is not even worse than Nicholas Kristof, which is one hell of a recommendation for her. She has a piece on April Fool's, is from yesterday, called The Wrong Time for Joe Biden. He's not a sexual predator, but he is out of touch. Okay, so let's get this straight. He's not a sexual predator. He's not a sexual harasser, but he doesn't understand women properly, and therefore he cannot be president. Here's what Michelle Goldberg writes. On Friday, Lucy Flores, a former Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor of Nevada, accused Joe Biden of touching her inappropriately as they waited to take the stage at a 2014 election rally. He put his hands on her shoulders, she said, then nuzzled her hair and kissed the back of her head. She didn't accuse Biden, who is reportedly close to announcing his presidential candidacy of sexual harassment or assault, just of making her uncomfortable. I'm not suggesting Biden broke any laws, but the transgressions that society deems minor or don't even see as transgressions often feel considerable to the person on the receiving end, she wrote. In response, Biden released a statement saying that while he's often been physically affectionate as a politician, not once, never did I believe I acted inappropriately. Then on Monday, Amy Lapos, a former aide to Democratic Congressman Jim Himes, told the Hartford Courant that Biden pulled her toward him to rub noses during a 2009 fundraiser. There's absolutely a line of decency, Lapos said, adding crossing that line is not grandfatherly, it's not cultural, it's not, aff it's not affection, it's sexism or misogyny. Biden's campaign hadn't yet begun and was already in crisis. Flores, Lapos, and Biden, says Michelle Goldberg, are probably all telling the truth. There are countless photos of Biden behaving in the ways Flores and Lapos describe, squeezing women, rubbing their shoulders, leaning in too close. All this was open, not furtive, presumably because it never occurred to Biden he was doing anything untoward. I don't necessarily blame him. In the past few years, women have been calling out daily indignities that previous generations grew up quietly tolerating, lingering hugs from boss, embarrassing intimate questions, crude office jokes. Individually, these are small acts, and most men probably don't understand how cumul cumulatively draining they can be. Women, after all, have only recently begun to articulate it. 
I received plenty of unwanted shoulder massages when I was younger, and for a long time I assumed there was something wrong with me when they made me flinch. It was affirming to finally realize that other women also hated routine invasions of their personal space. But if it wasn't always obvious to me that the men were at fault in these awkward, awkward encounters, it might not have been obvious to them either. So I don't think that Biden's avuncular pawing is a Me Too story. But Biden was more oblivious than predatory. His history still puts him out of step with the mores of an increasingly progressive Democratic Party. And here is where we get to the crux of the matter. I'll explain in just one second. First, let's talk about how you get ready for work in the morning. I love that Dollar Shave Club has everything I need to look feel and smell my best. What I love even more is the fact that I never have to go to a store. That's because first, DSE delivers everything I need directly to my door. And second, they keep me fully stocked on what I use so I don't run out. Here's how it works. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready no matter what you're getting ready for. They've got you covered head to toe, hair, skin, face, you name it, they've got it. And they have a new program where they automatically keep you stocked up on the products you use. You determine what you want when you want it. It shows up right at your door from once a month to once every six months. That's what I do for Amber Lavender Body Cleanser. It is calming and soothing and smells delightful. Plus, with their handsome discount, the more you buy, the more you save. Right now, they've got a bunch of starter sets you can try for just five bucks, like their oral care kit. After that, the restock box ships regular sized products at regular price. So what exactly are you waiting for? Get your starter set for just five bucks right now at dollarshaveclub.com slash Ben. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Ben. Go check them out, dollarshaveclub.com slash Ben. Get that starter set for just $5 right now. And then the restock box ships regular sized products at regular price. Fantastic deal, dollarshaveclub.com slash Ben. You're gonna love their product. It's great stuff. So Michelle Goldberg spelling out the real reason that Democrats want Biden out. At least some Democrats want Biden out. The reason is because Biden is not in step with the times. And they're not in step with the times. Biden is not in step with the times because he is an emissary of the Obama administration, which has suddenly become too right wing for a lot of progressive Democrats. Here is what Michelle Goldberg writes. She says, on Sunday, the New York Times reported that some Democrats are bracing for an extended reckoning about Mr. Biden and gender if he enters the race. The inevitability of such a reckoning should make Biden reconsider getting in. Biden's issues with gender, after all, go far beyond chronic handsiness. His waffling on reproductive choice troubles many feminists. As the Times reported last week, Biden's back and forth over abortion would become a hallmark of his political career. In other words, he has said in the past that he is personally opposed to abortion, and this is no longer okay with the base of the Democratic Party. He was the chairman of the hearings on Clarence Thomas's Supreme Court nomination, where Anita Hill, who accused Thomas of sexual harassment, was demeaned and dismissed. Well, that's because Anita Hill was probably not telling the full truth, as witness testimony made clear. Though Biden has expressed sorrow for how Hill was treated, he's never directly apologized to her beyond gender on issue after issue. If Biden runs for president, he'll have to run away from his own record. He, and by extension we, will have to relive the debate over the Iraq war, which he voted to authorize. He'll have to explain his vote to repeal the Glass-Steagall Act, which, by lifting regulations on banking, helped create the conditions for the 2008 financial meltdown. That, by the way, is a bunch of nonsense. It was not the Glass-Steagall Act removal that led to the financial meltdown. It was the government sponsoring subprime mortgages and backing them and letting hedge funds know that if they continued to invest in subprime mortgages, the government would essentially cover for them. In 2016, Hillary Clinton was slammed for her previous support of the 1994 Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act, which contributed to mass incarceration. Biden helped write the law. So here is where the Democrats are starting to disavow Barack Obama and Joe Biden. The old Democratic Party must die to make room for the new. Ross Dudhat makes the same point over at the New York Times today. Now, Dudhat obviously is a, a Republican, but nonetheless, he is not wrong to point this out. So Dudhat has this piece in the New York Times called The Real Joe Biden Decision. He says, at some point soon, Joe Biden is going to have to make two decisions. The first is whether he wants to run for the Democratic nomination. The second is whether he wants to win it and at what cost. 
Right now, even after some slippage, Biden has the highest polling numbers of any candidate in the race. He also has a record that is completely out of step with his party's activists and ideologists, a highly familiar personal style and a base of support that's roughly as old as he is. This combination makes it easy to imagine Biden running a campaign that ends up feeling like an apology tour in which he talks endlessly about much, how much he has learned and grown since the days when he was a tough on crime Democrat who opposed school busing and sometimes voted for late term abortion limits. Some of the ideas apparently bandied about by his aides, a one term pledge, Stacey Abrams is a running mate fit with this strategy in which the goal would be to establish Biden as a temporary bridge to a woker future, a candidate ready to put his moderate past behind him and serve the new liberal consensus. That kind of Biden campaign would probably lose. Indeed, it would probably lose as badly as Jeb Bush did. Why? Because in a big primary field with a lot of flavor of this available, it's very hard to hold your base if you aren't giving that base a clear reason to vote for you. This, of course, is exactly right from Ross Dudhat. And he points out that on social issues, he is out of step. And on racial issues, he is not considered woke enough. So what exactly would Biden have to do? He'd have to appeal to all of these groups openly and directly, which would require taking ownership of his record, not defending everything, not avoiding all apologies, but arguing explicitly that some tough on crime policies were necessary, that some moderation on abortion should be acceptable, that the Ocasio-Cortez in turn on economic policy should be questioned or resisted, and yes, defending his personal familiarity. But is Biden going to do any of that stuff? First of all, I think it would be good if he did, but he's not going to do any of that stuff. And so Biden has a problem. I've been saying for legitimately weeks on this program, the best day for Joe Biden is the first day for Joe Biden. Every day after that is a worse day for Joe Biden. And if he thinks that Barack Obama is going to provide cover to him, he's got another thing coming. Obama is not going to endorse him in a primary. And that means that Biden is out there on his own. Biden has logorrhea. He runs on at the mouth all the time. He has diarrhea of the face. The man says things on a routine basis. I know we all pretend that Joe Biden is some sort of elder statesman. Joe Biden has a long record of saying dumb stuff. All the way back in 2008, you'll recall that he famously called Barack Obama a different kind of African-American presidential candidate, clean and articulate. That's the person who Joe Biden is when he is on the campaign trail. Do we really think he's not going to make those kind of gaffes again? And there's also another point, which is even if Barack Obama were to endorse, uh, to endorse Joe Biden, would that be enough to put Joe Biden over the top? Because there is a gap between the base of the Democratic Party and the mainstream of the Democratic Party. The progressive, woke left of the Democratic Party, which is disproportionately white, by the way, not minority. A lot of those folks are not particularly fond of Barack Obama. They see Barack Obama in the same way that, for example, Ilhan Omar has described Barack Obama as a guy who is droning terrorists in foreign countries and was too conciliatory toward Republicans. Yes, that's a wild rewriting of history, but that doesn't matter to a lot of the progressives in the base. So when Eric Holder, the former Barack Obama attorney general, goes out in public and he says things like, Trump will be seen as one of the worst presidents. Barack Obama will be seen as one of the best. I don't know how many members of the Democratic Party base actually agree with this. This is him with Ari Melber on MSNBC yesterday. Last two, Donald Trump. Um, we just got to survive these next 22 months or so. Um, I think he is in danger of being the worst president in the history of the United States. Barack Obama. Uh, history is going to be extremely kind to Barack Obama. I don't say this because I was his friend or I was his attorney general. I studied American history. Uh, over time, he, his, the estimation of him by historians um, will rise. It's, it's already begun. He is going to be a, a top five. Okay, so yeah, that, that may be true for the moment for older Democrats, but already Barack Obama is fading into the gauzy kind of sepia gaze of history. And he is no longer considered the leading edge of the woke brigade. He's been left behind. You know, Eric Holder is, is trying desperately to grab that mantle. He's desperately trying to 
keep the focus on Barack Obama as leader of, of change. But the fact is that that's not something that I think a lot of Democrats are resonating to, which is why they are moving over toward Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's why they are moving over toward Bernie Sanders. It's why everybody who's discounting Bernie Sanders in these primaries, I think, is getting this stuff completely wrong. I think that if you are, if you are really already dismissing Bernie Sanders, you're getting this stuff absolutely incorrect. There's a poll out today that shows that Bernie Sanders has a double-digit lead among young voters. Bernie Sanders explicitly rejects the legacy of Barack Obama. And Bernie Sanders is a full-on statist socialist. He likes to proclaim that he's in favor of Norway. I mean, dude was in favor of the USSR when the USSR was still around. Dude was campaigning for Venezuela like 10 years ago. But he has a double-digit lead among young voters in the 2020 Democratic presidential primary, according to a poll released on Monday. 31% of likely voters between 18 and 29 favor him. Joe Biden trailing at 20%. That's a terrible number for Joe Biden among young voters. Beto O'Rourke is at 10%. That means that Bernie Sanders is tripling, tripling Beto O'Rourke. And he's a full 33% ahead of Joe Biden. Or 50% if you're measuring from Joe Biden's perspective. No other candidate has more than 5% of the young support. That means that Sanders is dominating among millennials and he is dominating among socialists. And that may be enough to win him the nomination. That is a fundamental rejection of Obama's sort of quasi-fusionist ideology. Here's the truth about Barack Obama. Deep down in his heart, he believes a lot of the same things that Bernie Sanders does. But Barack Obama was also a consummate politician. So he would say things about how much he liked capitalism. He would say things about how much he was in favor of an American military that, that was still muscular in the world. He said a lot of those things. I don't think he believed a lot of those things. But now the Democrats are saying, we want to say those things and believe those things. The legacy of Barack Obama is a failed Obamacare program that is not Medicare for all. The legacy of Barack Obama is a man who launched a war in Libya and got us involved in Syria. The legacy of Barack Obama is a person who increased taxes somewhat, but not dramatically, and did not increase social services in any massive dramatic fashion. That is how many young Democrats see Barack Obama. So this attempt by Joe Biden to glom onto the Obama legacy, I'm not sure that that benefits him in any serious way. In a second, I'll give you Joe Biden's, uh, I'll give you Bernie Sanders' fundraising numbers. They're stunning. They're stunning. And you'll see Bernie Sanders attempting to cross over. I have said for weeks on this program, for months probably, that I think that Bernie Sanders is the front runner for the nomination. I think that is still true. I think the octogenarian socialist is actually the front runner here. I'll explain in just one second. First, let's talk about those credit card bills that you've been racking up. For decades, credit cards have been telling us you can buy it now and pay for it later with interest. Despite your best intentions, that interest can get out of control really quickly. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com, tell them about yourself, how much you want to borrow, pick the terms that are right for you. If you are approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over $35 billion in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com slash Ben. Check that rate in minutes. Borrow up to forty grand. That is LendingClub.com slash Ben. This is the responsible thing to do. I mean, if you've got those debts running away from you, you need to consolidate, and Lending Club can help you do it. Go check them out at LendingClub.com slash Ben. That is LendingClub.com slash Ben. All loans made by WebBank member FDIC equal housing lender. Lending Club is helping millions of people regain control of their finances, and you can be one of them. Check them out at LendingClub.com slash Ben. Check that rate in minutes. Borrow up to forty grand. LendingClub.com slash Ben. So Bernie Sanders is raising money up the wazoo. Right now, the first quarter estimates have come in, and Bernie Sanders has raised, I kid you not, $18 million in the first quarter. 
I mean, that is dominant. Dominant. How dominant is that number? Well, Pete Buttigieg was being given all sorts of credit for, for raising some 18 million, sorry, $18 million. Pete Buttigieg has been given all sorts of credit for raising $7 million in the first quarter. Bernie Sanders is nearly tripling him. Kamala Harris came in at $12 million. Bernie Sanders apparently has $28 million in cash on hand. And he also just raised $18 million. I mean, he's running away with the money raise. And the longer, Ber- the longer Biden waits to get in, the more money is going to go toward Bernie Sanders, who has the highest name recognition in the race. It's pretty, it's pretty astonishing. And Bernie knows where the heart of the Democratic Party is. The heart of the Democratic Party is with that radical progressive base. So Bernie Sanders is now doing the racial pandering that, you know, I was uh, earlier in the race. I suggested that Bernie Sanders might be better for the country than Kamala Harris simply because he wasn't doing as much of the racial pandering. He, for example, had said he was not in favor favor of slavery reparations. Well, now Bernie Sanders is repeating all the woke talking points in the hopes of drawing a significant percentage of black votes. And by the way, that could happen. I talked yesterday about a 538 report suggesting that he does not win a disproportionate non-share of the black vote. He doesn't underperform among black folks. Hillary Clinton just overperformed among black folks. It is not certain at this point that Kamala Harris overperforms among black voters. According to the new Quinnipiac poll, the person who is scoring best with black voters is Biden, followed by Bernie Sanders. So here is Bernie Sanders at an event yesterday talking about how Republicans are suppressing the black vote, which of course is not true. What I say to those Republican governors and attorneys general all over this country who are working overtime to try to suppress the vote for people of color, for young people, for poor people in general, what I say to them from the bottom of my heart is if they don't have the guts to participate in a free and fair election, they should get the hell out of politics and get a new job. Okay, that is just not true. Okay, it's just not true that the black votes have been suppressed in the United States. Blacks have been overrepresenting their percentage of the population at the ballot box since 2008. This is simply not a, a true statement. But Bernie knows that he has to say this sort of stuff. And he has no problem saying this sort of stuff because what does he care? He's running for the nomination. He's doing the same thing with regard to Planned Parenthood. Unlike Joe Biden, who at one point had said he was sort of split on abortion, Bernie doesn't have that record to worry about. He says it is anti-woman to defund Planned Parenthood, the the nation's leading abortion mill responsible for some 300,000 abortions per year. Go see the new movie Unplanned if you want to see what Planned Parenthood actually does on a daily basis. But here is Bernie saying it is anti-woman to defund Planned Parenthood. I mean, dude's running to win. As a strong supporter of Planned Parenthood, I want to applaud the grassroots activism of Planned Parenthood and standing up and not only fighting against these horrific anti-woman legislation that we are seeing all over this country, but standing up and saying that women will not accept, and men will not accept, the defunding of Planned Parenthood so that millions of women will no longer be able to get the health care that they want. I mean, Bernie is running explicitly against the more moderate wing of the Democratic Party, and this is particularly true with Obama. Remember, Obamacare is the system on the books, and it is failing, and Democrats are explicitly rejecting that. What you hear from Democrats is that the economy has been slow for years. Suddenly, the booming economy we were told about in 2012 no longer exists. Now it's that the economy has been slow and slow and slow, and now we're going to fix all of that. And Obamacare is bad, it turns out. So, for example, President Trump tweeted out today, everybody agrees that Obamacare doesn't work. Premiums and deductibles are far too high, really bad health care. Even Democrats want to replace it, but with Medicare for all. So Bernie Sanders tweets back, Medicare for all? 
will end the atrocity of a profit-driven healthcare system in which thousands die because they cannot afford care. Donald Trump wants to protect insurance company profits over American lives. Mr. Trump, we will defeat you in 2020. We'll make healthcare a right. Well, that's not just Sanders running against Donald Trump. That is Sanders running against Obama. I mean, what happens the first time on a debate stage that Joe Biden starts talking about health care and Bernie Sanders says, we were pushing for Medicare for all and you and President Obama shut that down. You wouldn't even allow a public option. What happens the first time Bernie turns to Biden and says, you need to own Obamacare since it was your creation. And then Biden has to admit one of two things, either that they lied to the American public. They said that Obamacare was the final the final stop, not a way station on the way to Medicare for all. Or he has to own it. How's that going to work out for him? By the way, the, the, insi- the insipid stupidity of suggesting that a profit-driven healthcare system can be replaced by a non-profit-driven healthcare system and that this will not impact the level of care prevalent in the United States is absolute sheer nonsense. It's simply nonsensical. If you want to force doctors to take less pay, you will get fewer doctors. If you want Medicare reimbursement rates, which are like 60% of private healthcare insurance rates, to be the prevalent insurance rates, Fewer people are going to go into medicine. We already have a shortage of doctors in the United States. If you want to continue regulating the way that the Democrats want to regulate with medical licensure, you want to end up with a shortage of doctors, this is the way to do it. If you want to prevent 52% of all new medical innovations being produced in the United States, Medicare for All is a wonderful way to get that done. If you want to outlaw 160 million private health care plans that people own, man, go for it. But if you think that's not going to have an impact on health care, you got that wrong. One of the great lies about the American healthcare system is that the American healthcare system is truly horribly awful. There are problems with it. The employer-based healthcare system is a mistake. You should not have to be employed to have healthcare. We should all basically have our own individual healthcare plans that we shop for. It should be consumer product groups that evaluate all of these plans for us, as opposed to the group plans that you get through your employer. There are ways that we can help fix all of this. Medicare for all is not the way to do this. And to pretend that the American healthcare system generates worse healthcare for the price is to ignore the fact that on a GDP per capita basis, we are not wildly out of step with many European countries, and also to neglect the fact that we have the highest five-year cancer survival rates in the world, and that when you eliminate homicide and car accident vehicular death in the United States, we actually have the highest life expectancy in the industrialized world. We have wildly outsized numbers of car deaths as well as homicides in the United States. In a second, we're going to get to the other Democratic candidates who, as you see, are also rejecting the Obama legacy. What we're watching right now is a party in flux and moving beyond its past. And that past, shockingly, is Barack Obama. Get to more of that in just a second. First, let's talk about that cell phone coverage. There are a lot of things in life that aren't right. Carpet in showers, chunky milk, paying too much for your phone bill. That's not right. But thanks to Mint Mobile, you don't have to overpay for wireless anymore. With Mint Mobile, you can cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. They've reimagined wireless, making it easy and online only, which means they can pass significant savings directly to you. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. You can keep your old number along with all your existing contacts. With Mint Mobile, choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Stop paying for unlimited data you're never going to use. It's easy to get suckered into. Hey, you need unlimited data. Very few of us do. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Ditch that old wireless bill. Start saving with Mint Mobile. To get that new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash Ben. That is mintmobile.com slash Ben. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Get free shipping on your Mint Mobile plan at mintmobile.com slash Ben. That is mintmobile.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to the rest of the Democratic Party candidates. Plus, 
some bad news for the fresh faces in the Democratic Party and a couple of comments on equal pay day. Today is supposedly equal pay day the day upon which women would have to work. Uh, basically, this is the day when women would start working if they were equaling the pay rate of men to earn the same as men. I'll explain in just a little while why that's so incredibly dumb. But first, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to dailywire.com. When you do, you get the rest of our show live. And you also get two additional hours every afternoon, which has tons of great material. You also get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels. Look at it. The leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. Magnificent. Refreshing you. Refreshing your mind, body, and soul. Day in and day out, this leftist tears hot or cold tumbler. People love it. And you will too when you get that $99 annual subscription, which is cheaper than the monthly. Also, you get early access to our Sunday special. Well, this week, you are definitely going to want early access to our Sunday special because Andrew Yang is stopping by, which should be a blast. The first major Democratic Party presidential candidate to stop by. I'm really excited about it because, frankly, any Democrat who stops by rises significantly in my estimation for having the willingness to actually sit down. We've offered, and Pete Buttigieg has suggested maybe he would come on. He has been unresponsive to follow up, but as folks who actually listen to or watch the Sunday special know, it's not a debate forum. It is a place for discussion of issues. And as you'll see, I think, with the Andrew Yang interview, it's really, really good. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. You get that a day early when you subscribe. Plus, you get to hear all of the content behind the paywall because there are a couple extra questions you don't get to hear if you are just a normal human being but not a subscriber. So go check that out. Also, subscribe over at YouTube or iTunes. We have all sorts of goodies for you coming all the time. We are working our fingers to the bone for you folks. So go subscribe right now. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. <laughs> So it is not just Bernie Sanders who is running explicitly in the anti-Obama lane. It's also people like Beto O'Rourke. So Beto, who is maintaining this kind of 10 to 12 percent hold, even though he's declared he hasn't had the sort of takeoff that you want. Neither has Kamala Harris. Neither of them are picking up significant steam at this point. Nonetheless, Beto is making his break with the Obama era as well. Yeah, brother. He's radical. He likes to skateboard. He likes to have bangs in his eyes, like to flip him out of his eye. He only owns one outfit, his beta. He only owns a blue shirt and jeans because he's a very down-to-earth millionaire who made a career out of being extremely rich from birth. Yeah, really one of the people. Anyway, Beto is now, uh, Beto is so radical that he is moving back the timeline that we have to save the earth from climate change. Now, you'll remember that in 2008, Barack Obama suggested that we were, that was the moment that the earth's seas would begin to recede. That was not true. Also, he suggested he was going to take harsh action about climate change. That also was not true. The Democrats are disowning the legacy of Obama on all of this stuff by embracing this catastrophic view of the future of climate change. Here is Beto at the We the People conference, yeah, saying that we, so AOC had said we have 12 years to confront climate change. Now Beto says we only have 10 years to confront climate change. So guess what, guys? You just lost two years off your lives. Congratulations. Thanks, Beto. Think about climate change. At this point, there can be no shadow of a doubt that our own excesses and emissions and inaction politically and as a country and a democracy have led to the warming that we've seen so far, one degree Celsius just since 1980. And along this current trajectory, the fires, the droughts, the floods, the devastation that we are witnessing right now will only become profoundly worse. If we are going to confront any of these challenges, whether it's challenges to the economy 
or a system of health care or public education or confronting climate change before it is too late within the 10 years that we have left to us to act, then the single greatest mechanism that humankind has ever devised to call forth the power of the people, a democracy, must be fixed. Okay, first of all, the single greatest mechanism for calling forth the power of the people is not democracy, it's free markets, because that is the individual. Democracy has very often ended in tyranny. Right? Germany was a democracy before it was a tyranny. Italy was a democracy before it was a tyranny. Japan was a, was a quasi-democracy before it was a tyranny. I mean, this is, this is very silly. But beyond that, when Beto O'Rourke says things like, we only have 10 years to confront climate change, what he's implicitly doing is ripping the Obama administration. So again, there's this break between the new woke progressive left and the Obama era, which spells doom for Joe Biden. I mean, I think Joe Biden is a, is a paper tiger of a candidate. I think he's got a real problem on his hands. Maybe there are some members of the older Democratic base who like him. That's not enough to help him survive as all fire is trained upon him. And you can see where everybody thinks the Democratic base is. They think it is to the radical left. And you can see that from fringe candidates like Jay Inslee. Jay Inslee is the governor of Washington. No one knows why in the hell he is running. I mean, this is Jay Inslee's theme song. All he cares about is climate change. But apparently, not only does he talk a lot about, about climate change, also, he is deeply concerned about implicit bias. Talking about climate, there are a bunch of people on the left who suggest that it is climate denial to point out that if we do not end all of the, all of the carbon emissions in the United States, if we do all that, it still won't end climate change. That's climate denial. But it is not science denial to continue to promulgate myths like the idea that implicit bias is something that is easily measurable and also has an impact on our lives. Jay Inslee spouting a bunch of ascientific garbage in the name of, of course, wokeness. As long as some local official in a, in a sort of non-enlightened area that doesn't understand why implicit bias is a bad thing, we do in my state. In fact, I have my cabinet members take training in implicit bias because we believe in diversity in my state. But some of those places, they don't quite get it. And if they're in charge where the voting machines go, you know where those voting machines are going to go. They're not going to go in the black neighborhoods. We've got to make sure everybody can vote. We need a federal law to allow a mail-in ballot. Now, there's some other things we've got to do, too. I do believe there's some reform we need. We need to end the Electoral College so we can have popular vote in this country. Again, very funny to watch the entire Democratic Party also embrace an end to the Electoral College because, obviously, they are angry that Hillary Clinton lost. But here's the point. When Inslee talks about implicit bias, it is under Jay Inslee's auspices that the city of Seattle has become a crime center, that it has become a center for homelessness. Crime rates are rising in the city of Seattle. And that's because Ensley and people like him have been cracking down on quote unquote um, implicit bias at police departments. Now, implicit bias, the implicit bias assessment tests are they're garbage. They're just scientific garbage. And Jesse Single had a long piece a while ago, I believe it was at The New Yorker, talking about the problems with implicit bias assessment tests. The people who actually created those tests say that they are not usable for practical purposes. These are the tests that you will hear your, your college student come back with, or if you're a college student, you've seen it in your classes, where, where people say, okay, well, you're going to click a button on your computer every time you see a black face and a nice word. And people are, are slower to click when it's a black face and a nice word than they are when it's a white face and a nice word. And this is supposedly implicit bias. This is because secretly, deep down, you have imbibed certain stereotypes about black people because secretly you're a racist. There are a bunch of problems with this test. One is that it's not duplicable. You can take it twice and you can do better the second time than you can the first time. Well, when you are measuring an innate quality in a human being, that's not supposed to be the case. If I give you a test 
If I give you a test, an IQ test, the point of an IQ test and its durability is that you can take it twice and you're not going to score any higher the second time than you did the first time. Implicit bias tests can be game. Not only that, there is no real world application of implicit bias. In other words, there's been zero studies showing that implicit bias matches up to real world bias in any real way. But Jay Inslee is pushing this. Why? Because we are now moving into the realm of ghosts when it comes to pushing leftist policy. What I mean by that is that if you want to attribute everything in the United States, all disparities to discrimination, all you have to do is cite an unmeasurable force for that disparity. And then if people deny the unmeasurable force, then they are considered unwoke. So if I say, listen, you don't have any evidence that this disparity is caused by widespread discrimination as opposed to, for example, bad decision making that locates within a particular group statistically. If I say that, that is considered unwoke. But if you say white privilege is a thing, and so is implicit bias. And then I say, okay, your evidence, please. And then you present me with no evidence other than a bad test. And you say, if you don't believe in the test, you hate science. I mean, this is some pretty woke stuff. The Democratic Party nominees, know, the candidates, know where they think their bread is buttered. There's a wide open lane to the moderate left for the Democratic Party. Biden is the only one trying to fill it. And he'll be torn down forthwith. I mean, he'll be torn down incredibly quickly. Okay, speaking of lack of moderation inside the Democratic Party, the fresh faces of the Democratic Party are running into a little bit of trouble. So AOC continues to run roughshod through the media. The media continue to prop her up as some sort of grand idea master. Now, I will acknowledge, I actually have a, a quick apology to make to AOC. Yesterday, I suggested that when she talked about regenerative agriculture, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't. Apparently, it is a thing. There's some problems with regenerative agriculture as a solution to carbon emissions, namely that yields on regenerative agriculture, this is basically less tillage, uh, planting all sorts of diverse crops on, on top of a field instead of planting one type of crop. It dramatically lowers yields, but that is a thing. So I apologize for not knowing about that thing. But AOC doesn't know about any of the things. So here is the problem. So AOC yesterday tweets about economics, and this is considered her being brilliant and wise. She tweeted yesterday, croissants at LaGuardia are going for $7 a piece, yet some people think getting a whole hour of personal dedicated human labor for 15 bucks is too expensive. Um, yes, yes, actually. So a couple of things. One, the reason that croissants at LaGuardia are expensive is because all of the companies there have a virtual monopoly because the government only allows a certain number of food shops there. And then they limit the ability to ship croissants into the airport. Second, the actual price of a croissant at LaGuardia Airport is $3.29. The Washington Free Beacon went and checked it out. Third, the minimum wage at LaGuardia Airport for this type of work is $19 an hour, not $15 an hour. And finally, when she suggests that if the croissants are $7, that we should be paying higher minimum wage, does she not understand that inputs determine price? That if you raise the price of labor, people are going to raise the price of the croissant? So the logic goes something like this. Man, this croissant is so expensive, seven bucks. That's a lot of money for a croissant. Aren't people worth more? Let's pay them $17 an hour instead of $15 an hour. So the companies are like, okay, and then they raise the price of the croissant to nine bucks. And then AOC is like, whoa, a $9 croissant? And you say you can only afford 17 bucks for human labor? How about 19 bucks? They're like, okay. They move it to 19 bucks. And now the croissant's 11 bucks. You're like, whoa, $11 croissants? I mean, that means that we should really take that $19 and make it $21. I mean, if you can afford an $11 croissant, shouldn't we be paying people more for labor? You see how dumb this is? You raise the price of inputs. You raise the price of the product. One of the reasons the croissants are as high priced as they are is because of the price of labor inputs. Also, I love when people like AOC suggest that they know more than the entire market mechanism. I'd like to see AOC trace from beginning to end the production of the croissant and explain where all of the evil profit making is happening. 
So AOC recognized that this was dumb, and then she tweeted out, GOP taking every tweet so earnestly, making my point for me. So basically, she is Trump. She is Trump. Take me seriously, but not literally. It's not an argument against the price of a croissant. It's about the value of human worth. But I guess that idea is foreign to them since their policies treat people as disposable anyway. So in other words, what I said is complete nonsense, but Republicans hate humans. I have a question. If AOC believes that the value of labor is the same as the value of human worth, why isn't minimum wage infinite? I assume she thinks that every human life is worth infinite, is worth infinity. So infinity divided, uh, divided by any finite number is still infinity. So why exactly isn't the minimum wage infinity? We should pay infinity dollars since apparently that's how we value human worth is in infinite numbers. Oh, AOC. But she's so brilliant. I mean, I've been told by the media that she is, in fact, a spokesperson for, for my generation, which is deeply devastating for my generation. Meanwhile, Ilhan Omar, another one of the fresh faces of the Democratic Party, has some troubles of her own. Apparently, Ilhan Omar is now facing a campaign finance probe that is not good for her. James Rosen from Sinclair investigating, quote, Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat of Minnesota, the controversial freshman House Democrat, aside, who is an anti-Semite, is soon to learn the results of a probe into her campaign spending as a state lawmaker in Minnesota, Sinclair has learned, with authorities there having recently completed their investigation and preparing to issue rulings in a pair of complaints Omar faces. The complaints were filed last year while Omar cruised to election to the House of Representatives by a Republican state lawmaker, Representative Steet Drezkowski. In referring Omar to the Minnesota Campaign Finance Board, Drezkowski alleged that Omar improperly spent close to $6,000 in campaign funds for personal use, including payments to her divorce attorney and for travel to Boston and Estonia. Drezkowski's filing of the two complaints followed an earlier episode in which Omar repaid $2,500 for honoraria she received for speeches at colleges that received state funding, a violation of ethics rules for Minnesota lawmakers. I had long observed a pattern, Drezkowski told Sinclair. Representative Omar hasn't followed the law. She's repeatedly trampled on the laws of the state in a variety of areas and gotten away with this. This follows on accusations against AOC that she, too, was messing around with her campaign financing so as to funnel money to her chief of staff, who was running an uh, sort of anonymous LLC. Approached by Sinclair, Omar refused to answer any questions about the campaign finance allegations. The aide suggested Sinclair tried to schedule an interview instead. When Sinclair contacted her spokesman, Jeremy Slevin, for that purpose, he directed that the inquiry be rooted to his personal email account. An inquiry subsequently sent to that account produced no reply from Slevin. The Minnesota Campaign Finance Board, following standard practice, declined to confirm or deny whether it has opened an investigation into the subject of any complaint. So sad, it looks like the swamp applies to a lot of the brand new, fresh faces of the Democratic Party. What's amazing is that if you look at the history of the Democratic Party, the the most loved Democrats are the ones who were able to at least in rhetoric tack to the center. Bill Clinton was able to rhetorically tack to the center and play centrist, even though in his early policy, he showed that he was very far to the left. Barack Obama was able to rhetorically sometimes tack to the center. Late in his administration, he stopped tacking to the center and he simply said what he felt, which was out and out hardcore leftism. But when he ran in 2008, he ran as a centrist and he won a sweeping victory. Democrats, however, have basically forbidden that. They're embracing their id. In response to Donald Trump, Donald Trump has basically driven them insane. And they believe that because Donald Trump is the id of the Republican Party, they need to now feed their own id. That's why I was asked by a reporter from Politico this morning why I've been complimentary toward Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend. I said, because I don't think that while we disagree on all policy, he doesn't seem angry at the country. He, he doesn't seem as though he is enraged at the state of politics. He seems as though he wants to have a rational conversation. The fact that that alone is a winning quality 
is being completely ignored by the Democratic Party right now. And instead, they're embracing their angriest face. We'll see how that works out for them in future election cycles. I'm not sure it's going to work out as well as they think it will. Okay, time for some things that I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. There's a series on Netflix that's really creative and interesting. It's called Love, Death, and Robots. It is directed by David Fincher, produced by David Fincher. And what, what's kind of fun about this is that it's a series of little vignettes, none of them longer than about 13, 14 minutes. David Fincher basically decided, I'm sick of being forced by convention to tell stories in an hour and a half long version. And people's attention spans don't dictate that anyway. And so he took a bunch of stories and crammed them into seven or eight minutes. The animation on this stuff is just beautiful. I mean, the imagery on it is truly incredible. Now, it is very R-rated. I mean, it's, it's pornographic in certain areas for sure. Uh, and every style of animation is wildly different. But artistically speaking, it's some of the, it's some of the most artistic, beautiful stuff I've ever seen uh, on, a, on a small screen. And the format of it, which is that you can sort of digest it in bite-sized chunks, is pretty neat. It's all sci-fi based. So if you're into that sort of thing, go check it out. Love, Death, and Robots. I, I kind of love the new format, actually, because my feeling is that virtually all movies have gotten too long. If you go back to the 1930s and 40s and even the 50s, there were a lot of movies Hollywood was producing that were an hour and a half. That was plenty. Now there's a feeling every movie has to be two hours. Very few of them actually earn that sort of, of billing. Love, Death, and Robots doesn't even try, so good for them. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So let us talk about Equal Pay Day. Supposedly, Equal Pay Day is today. It's an, an Equal Pay Day is apparently the day on which women apparently would, would have to continue working to earn the same income that men earned in 2018. So in other words, women would have to work all of last year and all the way up to April 2nd to earn the same pay that men earned in 2018. Now, this statistic is absolute sheer nonsense because it is just comparing the gross average pay, meaning they're just taking pay to women versus pay to men. It does not take into account hours worked. It doesn't take into account the kind of job. It doesn't take into account time off from the workforce. It doesn't take into account any of the, of the things that make this calculation more complicated and that show that men and women are effectively being paid the same in the United States right now. And yet we continue to be, they continue to foist this nonsense on us. The National Committee on Pay Equity keeps publicizing equal pay day as a thing. It is not, in fact, a statistical thing. It is very stupid. Well, there is something else that ought to be taken into account if we are going to take into account all of this, that is Equal Occupational Fatality Day. And this was introduced by the American Enterprise Institute, and in particular, a, a person named Mark Perry. He talks about Equal Occupational Fatality Day. That was the day that men would have to, that men would have to work to, sorry, that women would have to work to, to have the same number of annual deaths on the, on the work site as men do. So, in other words, for all the deaths that men had in 2018 on the worksite, how far into the future would women have to work in order for them to achieve that number of deaths on the worksite, since we are just going to take gross aggregate statistics and not take into account the job choices? How far would men have to work? It tells us how many years and days into the future women will be able to continue to work before they will experience the same number of occupational fatalities that occurred for men in the previous year. Well, in 2017... 4,761 men died on the job. That is 92.5% of the total compared to 386 women, 7.5% of the total. Based on those data, the next Equal Occupational Fatality Day will occur on May 30th, 2030. So women will have to work all the way till May 2030 to symbolize how far into the future they will be able to continue working before they experience the same number of deaths that men experienced in 2017. And of course, it is true 
that the gender occupational fatality gap explains part of the gender earnings gap because a disproportionate number of men are taking high pay, high risk jobs like commercial fishing or logging or roofers or truck drivers or electric power line workers. Women far outnumber men in relatively low risk industries, as pointed out by AEI, sometimes with lower pay to partially compensate for the safer, more comfortable indoor office environments in occupations like office and administrative support, where women constitute about 72% of the workforce, education, training, library occupations, and healthcare. The higher concentrations of men in riskier occupations with greater occurrences of workplace injuries and fatalities suggest that more men than women are willing to expose themselves to work-related injury or death in exchange for higher wages. The proponents of equal payday are promoting a statistical falsehood by suggesting that women working side-by-side with men in the same occupation for the same company are making something like 20% less than their male counterparts. It is just not true. It is simply not true. By the way, it is, it is also worth noting here that all of the attempts by the left to equal this out with things such as mandatory, m- mandatory paid government pregnancy leave, attempts like this that allow this sort of thing, actually put women on a lower track to management. We've seen this in the Nordic countries. There's a, more women are in management in places like the United States than are in management in places like Norway. Why? Because women are taking advantage of that paid time off and men are not. And so men are simply rising on the pay scale faster than women in places like Norway. So all the attempts to alleviate the problem of the, of the supposed pay gap are actually exacerbated by government interventionism in these areas. Okay, final thing that I hate. So Alyssa Milano, who we've referred to earlier, her Twitter account is just... A cornucopia of wonder. She tweeted out yesterday, I love God. I believe in God. But I don't believe my personal beliefs, of which we can't confirm, should override scientific facts and what we can confirm. Quote, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? John 3.12. My favorite thing is when people quote the Bible and miss all the places where God talks about, I have formed you in the womb and I knew you before you were born. All of the areas where God talks about how he is not particularly in favor of killing in the womb. But we'll find a vague reverse in which... Even that doesn't back her. Even John 3.12 doesn't back Alyssa Milano. You know what is it? one of those earthly things that, that God told us is that there are babies in the womb. They exist in the womb. And I love the fact that she says that it is not a scientific fact that there is a baby in the womb. I'd love to hear her talk about the scientific facts on biological sex, by the way. That would be definitely amusing. And now Alyssa Milano is saying, you know, I, I don't want theocracy. It's not, I, I, I don't believe that my perspectives on abortion should trump the science. How about the science trumping your perspective on abortion, Alyssa Milano? Because that's the actual reality. Okay, well, enough of Alyssa Milano. We'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours of the program. Go out and buy my number one New York Times bestseller, The Right Side of History. It is still on sale everywhere. It is extraordinarily available and prevalent and legitimately probably 100,000 people have already bought that book. It's, it's, it's doing really well. So I urge you to be part of the conversation. Go check it out, The Right Side of History. You can get it at Amazon today. Check us out later today, or we'll see you back here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. I'm Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show. The left launches a crusade to murder innocent babies in Georgia while simultaneously trying to overturn the death penalty for rapists and murderers. We will examine the left's inverted judgment and the importance of good judges. Check it out at dailywire.com. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 